0: Who is there for heroes of the families left behind when a service member or first responder dies or is catastrophically injured in the line of duty? Who helps our country's homeless veterans and who helps our nation to never forget nine 11? Let me tell you who the ton towers foundation, the foundation's gold star fallen first responder, smart home and homeless veteran programs comprise their in the line of duty programs. They're all dedicated to honoring our nation's heroes and their families. The foundation's Never Forget programs engage people in 9-11 remembrance across America. Over 80 runs, walks, and climbs a year. Dozens of golf outings. And the Tunnel to Towers 9-11 Institute is educating kids kindergarten through 12th grade to help our nation keep its vow to never forget. More than 95 cents of every dollar you donate to Tunnel to Towers goes to its programs. Never forget the sacrifices of our country's greatest heroes. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at t2t.org. That's T, the number two, T dot org. You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Buck Sexton Show. I'm here in the Freedom Hut with my good friend, Mr. Ryan Gerduski. The National Populist Newsletter is his work these days over at Substack. You should subscribe. You should check it out. He is excellent. It is well worth your time and uh, and your subscription. And also, he's got some books and other cool things he can tell us about. But Mr. Gerdusky, how are you, buddy?
1: Good. How's it going? I'm pretty good. So how
0: are you feeling about the state of Republican politics these days? How's it going? <laughs>
1: Broad question. Um, I mean, I think overall you're we're at this very weird precipice where we have a lot of uh, older people in the party or a lot of older thoughts in the party, and we have a new right emerging that's trying to make peace with, I think, the fact that the party has changed a lot in the last 25 years in the sense of where our base is. Um, you know, we would always count on suburban, usually white voters on issues like crime and uh, the economy as the bread and butter of the party that gets us elected. That base has moved substantially. It's now more working class. Um, it's slightly more ethnically diverse than it used to be. And that change in our electorate requires a change in policy that is uncomfortable for people who are kind of Born and bred in the Reagan era. Um, And there are some politicians who are still trying to get it and trying to figure out a way forward with it and are still uncomfortable with things like spending on things like infrastructure or uh, trying to change the way the trade works in the economy um, or who are still extremely hawkish on foreign events. I mean, we still talk, some politicians still talk about Russia as if it was the Soviet Union um, and not as it is, which is a second rate country that can't even take over Ukraine. Um, And I think that that is really kind of the precipice of where do we go? Uh, I think on things like immigration and on um, other parts of the Trump coalition, uh, the party has changed substantially. Um, Certainly on education, we've moved considerably when the governor of Utah, one of the most liberal Republicans in the country who has his pronouns in his Twitter bio is banning transgender surgery for minors you can see the party has substantially changed on some things but um but i think those are the two bigger questions that go forward into the upcoming presidential election the presidential election really becomes the decision maker for where the party is moving so we'll see where it's going in the next year
0: really how do republicans win enough of the white working class vote in the next election that they actually win the presidential election
1: um well i think they have to do a couple of really hard lessons i think one is on healthcare. we just don't have an answer on healthcare, and it is our biggest 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 black hole it, as a policy thing it is the number one issue for or the number two issue in the arch bar for independent voters it's a huge issue for working class voters uh whites especially who just can't afford the way the healthcare is run and they don't trust the upheaval that would come with the promise of a simple free market system Uh, that does not promote confidence. People don't like that immense amount of change why they didn't like Obamacare. Um, But now that Obamacare has been the law of the land for a decade and is, you know, the de facto way we do healthcare, any promise of upheaval and uncertainty is going to breed discomfort. So I think that that's a major, 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 question i think that's part of the reason that donald trump won so many of their confidence is that he said i'm going to take care of everybody you Now he didn't have a policy solution for it but he didn't sit there and say we'll just make the market take care of everything mm-hmm. that kind of answer appeal to somebody who lives credit card through credit cards you know paycheck right. by paycheck um can, can
0: i ask you something I, about this, by the way i i know i want to get back to the policy part of this ryan but the your your perception um i'll just share my, my perception of when people talk about healthcare, I always think that that there's a uh, there's a sloppiness in the way that it's discussed. You know, people say, "Oh, well, I want healthcare." What they really want is some kind of a program, usually a, a card that they're given that promises some degree of subsidized access to actual healthcare providers, right? But there's the whole system in place. It's not just like, "Well, I get healthcare now." It's like, "Well, you have to make appointments to see a doctor. You have to go to the doctor. You have to get it paid for. You have to get the insurance." You know. I actually believe from what I see and, and I increasingly try to step away from the uh the big healthcare model as much as I as much as I can afford to, as much as I can, that health care as it is actually delivered to people is constantly getting worse. That's that's my perception. Yeah. Maybe I'm wrong. I mean, I just feel like go ahead.
1: Yeah, there's three prongs to it. There's actual health of people in this country, and we are a remarkably unhealthy nation. Um, we are too fat. Um, I scream constantly, we're too effing fat as a country. It is extraordinarily problematic. It is why the left's um the left's push to make fat being fat a positive attribute is so, so incredibly problematic. I think our obesity is part of the reason why our healthcare is so incredibly expensive uh the fattest sorry the thinnest state today colorado is fatter than the fattest state in the country was in 1990 which was mississippi that is how fat we are we have moved the trajectory so much where our thinnest state is fatter than our fattest state was in 1990. um so it is health health part of health care is living healthy secondly is access to a doctor which is in some parts of the country. Horrendous in rural communities, it is abysmal. And then the third of it is the cost. And I think the cost part of it is not so much uh, it, the, what you said is access to healthcare is very problematic. But what people don't like is the idea of a single mother getting cancer at 40 years old and never being able to recover economically from that. And those are the three. And so when Bernie Sanders speaks to voters, he speaks about those people who need, you know, catastrophic care in those extreme circumstances. There are multi-prong issues that are problematic with our healthcare system that really need to be answered. If we had, you know, there are other countries in the world that smoke a lot more than us. There's other countries in the world that, you know, uh, eat a lot more, you know, eat probably as much food as we do. There's a different type of food Um, that, are much thinner and live longer and we are now in i think what year three or year four of life expectancy continually declining um for almost every demographic in this country there's not a, a single demographic i think maybe asians but probably not either that have seen their life expectancy grow over the last five years and you know and then there's other things, drug abuse and deaths of despair and whatnot but those are the three big things access healthy living and um and then the the cost of healthcare, and i don't think that and i think that the problem is is that the healthy living is the problems that a lot of people have is that requires sacrifice it requires you not going to get uber eats at three o'clock in the morning when you don't want to or you know and probably not having a federal government that doles out money for fatty meats and terrible grains and seed oils and whatnot and then the other part of it is access to finding a doctor and then the cost of, of you know, car accidents and.
0: But so here's where I, here's where I see a big problem in the medical system right now. I mean, first of all, I believe that because of covid um, and not just some of the some of the most egregious things like the way the medical community. I know it's not every doctor, so please, I don't need the I don't need doctors who are like, I wasn't with this. I know. But the overall medical system in this country, every major hospital system, the CDC, the NIH, right? All the hospital, all the medical bureaucracy were uh, basically vaccine fascists. I mean, they completely lost their minds, uh, but also on the issue of even mandatory masking, which still goes on in medical facilities in places like New York to this day. Uh, I think they've lost a lot of uh, they've lost a lot of credibility with people who are capable of thinking for themselves and caring about results and reality instead of what they're told to care about. Uh, But I I also think that uh, there's been this growing problem for a while that because healthcare has become um, so bureaucratic and and systematized by an unwieldy and political and very politically driven system um, that you now have a lot of people don't want to go into medicine. Who are the people you want to go into medicine? And I don't think people talk about this very much, but any doctor that I know personally will say, given what I'm dealing with now, and maybe they're at the end of their career, you know, their their mid to, mid to late career doctors are saying the amount of paper bureaucracy, threat of lawsuits, all this stuff just makes it so that it, it's certainly no longer a pathway to financial security for a lot of people. You know, being a GP is not, you know. then the notion of like the doctor who drives the BMW and lives in the big house and goes to Country Club, that's not reality anymore. But it's a lot worse than that. I think that there are a lot of doctors who are um, who are saddled with so much debt that they lead kind of miserable lives into their 50s. And you're like, I don't know if I want to mortgage my 20s, 30s and 40s so that one day I can do healing work and actually make a good living.
1: Yeah. GP will make about, I mean, a hundred thousand dollars with a million dollars of debt and a million dollars on legal coverage on top of it per year, which is extremely expensive. But there's a lot of money to be made in medicine, in selling a pill and not in eating some broccoli. And that's ultimately the biggest problem. And when major corporations are given, both food corporations and pharmaceutical corporations are given money constantly by the federal government to push it out, then that is where the problems grow. And for all those people who have huge concerns about, you know, about getting a, a shot, I completely understand why their concerns would be there and and, and some of them are probably valid, but they are oftentimes in some of the fattest counties in this country. Don't sit there and say to me, I care about a healthy lifestyle when you weigh 300 pounds. It is not, it is, you know, the w- w- problem with a lot of conservatives, I always say, is that they'll sit there and say, I love, you know, beautiful European architecturally designed cities. And then they live in a suburb that with a cookie cutter house on a row that has 15 lanes to get to the nearest Walmart. They'll sit there and say, I care a lot about my health care, so I won't get a vaccine, but I eat garbage food. And I live a garbage lifestyle. And, you know, I was sending this to someone who was running for governor of Texas. I won't say his name, but he's for governor of Texas. And we had a conversation. I said, people who live in East Texas and West Texas, Republican voters live a decade shorter than people who live in Austin and Dallas, the Democratic voters. You lose your own voters three election cycles earlier simply because of our healthcare system. Now, it's not just that. I mean, there is drugs, there's cigarette smoking, there's lifestyle habits, but all of those things are giant factors. And when you look at the enormous drop in life expectancy for working class people, um, living credit card by credit card, healthcare is a big, big, big issue that the Republicans so far will not even venture in. And I think to their own I think, it's, I think it's their own problem. And I don't have a healthcare solution. I'm not a policy wonk. But I think that the answer of, oh, the free market will just take care of it if we just give it a chance, maybe that's true. But the uncertainty that comes with that is so uncomfortable for most average Joe people who don't understand a lot of policy situations that it is to our detriment that we don't have a more nuanced solution. And look, you and I, in the last five minutes, have probably talked more about it than any Republican on a major platform has in the last... Five years well this
0: is my, my my concern from an electoral perspective also is looking back at 2018 which was the delayed blue wave remember election night it was like ah and then it actually no they the democrats picked up a lot of of seats it was a very strong uh now they didn't win the senate but it was a very strong house election for democrats and overwhelmingly from from what i remember it was health care was actually the issue that was a huge problem for republicans in swing states or swing districts um, why didn't they go, why didn't they go with the Republican? They went with the Democrat because there was this, you know, Trump was still talking about repealing Obamacare and there was a big right. fight then over healthcare. And I worry that, and remember that was when, you know, McCain and the skinny repeal and all that stuff was going on. Uh, I, I worry that Republicans could be walking into a situation they're not prepared for at all where the Democrats just get to pound the healthcare drum and all of a sudden they're, you know, the Biden, Term two is looking like a pretty sure. Th- I want to ask you about that, though, in a second. So let me get oh. to that. Uh, wait, hold on. Hold on. We, we have sponsors. We have sponsors that I have to talk about for a second. Give me one second. Yes, sir. The sponsors, First. Mr. Grudowski, because if you're a T-Mobile <laughs> subscriber, there are millions and millions of customers right now who are finding out that their sensitive information was exposed After the new year, cyber hackers grab data without notice could include your name, email, billing address, phone number. And that stuff, when pieced together by cyber criminals online, can lead to identity theft. What can you do about this? One thing is have LifeLock. You need LifeLock. Their online identity theft protection includes monitoring the web 24-7 for irregular activities and new account openings in your name. And if they see unusual activity and you're a LifeLock customer like I am, you'll get an alert. That text comes via uh, your phone or it can come in an email. And then you can actually take action. It's important to understand how cybercrime and identity theft are affecting our lives. If you do become a victim of identity theft, a dedicated U.S. LifeLock restoration specialist will work to fix it. No one can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses, but it's easy to help protect yourself with LifeLock. I've relied on them for years. They've come through time and time again. Join now. Save up at 25% off your first year with promo code Buck at LifeLock.com or call 1-800-LIFELOCK. That's lifelock.com, promo code BUCK. You'll get 25% off lifelock.com, promo code BUCK, or call 1-800-LIFELOCK. Now, back to our friend, Mr. Ryan Gurdusky. You should subscribe to his Substack, the National Populist Newsletter. It's very informative on politics and a range of issues. All right, buddy. Joe Biden, definitely the Democrat nominee, probably, or not so much?
1: Definitely. I don't see... So the Democrats recently announced they were changing their electoral process in the primary. So South Carolina because it was too white, Iowa, New Hampshire. So it's South Carolina, then I forget Iowa somewhere along. but oh no I was way back I, I, South Carolina, Georgia, Nevada, and I think some, one other state. And that is purposely created in such a way that the Democratic Party is going to lock out the Bernie Bro, far left grouping uh, for the, if this stays for the foreseeable future, there will not be a progressive nominee. And this absolutely protects Biden because the, the number one contributor to electing a Democrat nominee for president is black, especially older black women in the deep South that every Democrat nominee relies on that voting block for delegates, whether it be Hillary, Obama, Biden, Biden, Clinton, uh, Bill Clinton, uh, everyone besides John Kerry, who wrapped up the nomination before Super Tuesday, has always relied on the on the black southern vote, especially of older black women. Who are not progressive? They don't like somebody like Pete Buttigieg. Um, I don't know if they would even warm up to somebody like Gavin Newsom, though maybe. Um, but that is isn't that is the electorate that w- will controls the nomination process of the Democratic Party, and they love Joe Biden. And Joe Biden has secured. There's no one who's going to replace him. They'd have to lose like the first six or seven states and have a real tr- like comeback attempt in a way we have never seen. So I don't I don't foresee it any other way. Joe Biden, unless he something. Happens like he dies, he is going to 100% be the nominee.
0: And Kamala Harris is somebody who do you think could not be by the Democrat Party pushed aside either as vice president or right a situation where you are going to have Biden. If Biden says he's not going to run, or if Biden says he is going to run and he's gonna he's gonna have a different vice president on the ticket, though, or either of those situations that you think the Democrat Party could manage and abide.
1: He's not going to push Kamala aside. He's not going to push Kamala aside. You're not going to see the white male president push a black female, the first black female vice president to the side. It will never, ever, ever happen. There was an interesting Twitter thread I read recently about the number of federal judges and cabinet members Biden has selected. And I think something like only 5% of all federal judges, and he's broken records now for federal judges, are white men and like an enormous percentage versus the whole population are black women. Um, He is specifically tried to appeal to that base over and over and over and over again in every possible way that he can, including pushing discrimination laws against white people with the farmers, um, with farmers getting their money from the federal government and aid um, with COVID uh, relief. A lot of governors were pushing where, where black women especially got the first shot. Um, uh, that's that's just not, never going to happen as far as I can see, unless he was replacing it with an even more extreme black female candidate. It's never going to replace Kamala. Um, if something happened to Joe Biden and he could not run for whatever reason, you would You would see, you know, a free for all. You would see Gavin Newsom run. You would see uh, maybe Gretchen Whitmer run. You'd see definitely the governor of Illinois, um, who was one of the richest people in the country, run. Um, He probably spent a billion dollars to run um, and then would see what happened. But uh, unless something happens to Joe Biden, you're not going to see him kick away Kamala Harris.
0: How how did Pritzker, how did Pritzker, by the way, speaking of unhealthy lifestyles, how did he get so rich?
1: (laughs) He's inherited. He owns huh. oh, is the Hyatt hotels or something? I don't know. He's, oh, he's definitely, oh, he's
0: the Hyatt Air. That or that's right. Yeah, yeah, sure.
1: Three or four billion dollars.
0: Yeah. He also has apparently inherited a love of subway sandwiches.
1: <laughs> I'm just, I'm just well, that's saying. That's what you do, with country. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I
0: mean? It's that guy. That guy likes the Dunkin' Donuts. I don't know what to say. It's just it's just clear. Um, I want to ask. President. I want to ask you about, uh, speaking of running, to break down for us on the Republican side, which I know is very contentious these days with some people, how you see that playing out, given where we are right now. But before we get to that, American Giant has amazing, super comfortable hoodies that you need to be adding into your wardrobe. Look, I'm all about comfort, as you know, sitting here in a T-shirt. I refuse to wear a tie at my own wedding. I don't wear shoes that hurt my feet. I don't care what the occasion is. Like, I'm just... I refuse to go through life wearing garments that are some kind of a punishment for things I haven't done. So that's why I love the super comfortable hoodies from American Giant. The classic full zip hoodie is amazing. They've also released a relaxed classic full zip hoodie. So if you want a little more space, a little more room, which is good, you can actually get one from American Giant now. They're made with incredible quality and durability. And they make everything here in the USA. They obsess over every detail in the construction and assembly of these garments. American Giants, more than just hoodies, they got flannels, sweaters, joggers, tanks, sweatpants, and everyday denim. Every one of those is as comfortable as you can possibly find. I'm not saying you could live in American Giant head to toe, but if you did, you'd be the most comfortable guy on the block. So you probably should. You should consider it. All you have to do, my friends, is go to AmericanGiant.com. That's American. G- American-Giant Dash American-Giant.com Dash Use my name, Buck, as the promo code. You're going to love how you feel in this gear. That's American-Giant.com Use my name, Buck, as the promo code. Now, Ryan, yes. Trump, DeSantis, tell us things. See, one of the things I love about Mr. Gurdusky is he knows things about politics that not every pundit is saying because he actually looks at the data and he has to help run campaigns and do things that have results one way or the other. Trump DeSantis, how's it looking right now? Break down for us. Like if this was the Super Bowl and you were assessing each team's advantages, weaknesses and how they stack up, how does a Trump DeSantis Super Bowl look to you?
1: Well, from what I've heard from people close with the Trump campaigns, they've kind of already kind of conceded that New Hampshire and Iowa, they may lose and they're putting all their work into South Carolina. It is the state that has decided every Republican primary primary election except for one 2012 when Newt Gingrich won it. Um. And I think that's where he feels he could rebound in case Iowa voters is a caucus. So it's all about organization, something that the Trump campaign was never famous for. And New Hampshire is independent voters. They're swingy voters. They kind of do what they want to do. And Trump, according to the latest polls, there is extraordinarily unpopular um, among especially college educated Republicans in New Hampshire. So I think a lot of energy is going to be spent into South Carolina. DeSantis DeSantis is there's a great article in National Review I think I can't remember who wrote it but Daniel something or other um but we don't know a lot about DeSantis on a national level we know a lot as is governor of Florida on certain culture war issues like immigration and education he's been pivotal but um I don't know anything about DeSantis's trade policy he voted for TPP um that's all I know he vote he we have no idea really what his position is on military on on foreign policy there's a lot of open questions and I don't know what the team necessarily looks completely like if he does make a run I think as of right now there's only two real candidates which is Trump and DeSantis I don't think that anyone so far who has even you know put their heads out say I want to run like a Nikki Haley type um is has any chance in the world I got to I got a call from one of Nikki Haley's consultants and they were like, we're at 9% in South Carolina. This is so great. I go, she was governor there. <laughs> if that's your best state and you're 9%, yeah. you're in real serious trouble. Like you're not making traction with ever anywhere. Um, I think it just depends on now who else makes it run. The problem with running for president uh, for voters is that it's such a profitable business. Now there's no incentive not to run for president. So we may see a cattle car of like this, you know, a clown car. And, is,
0: than that, like, is that the, the 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 clown car of candidates, which we certainly had back in 2016? I think it was 19 of them, which was just maybe it was even 20. It was crazy. But if we yeah. even have six or seven candidates, does that dramatically favor Trump in in your mind in terms of the primary structure?
1: Not necessarily, because once once you lose. Once you go into Super Tuesday, which at that point only 15 states have voted after Super Tuesday, basically it falls apart. There's, it's very, very, very rare in American politics for it to be a competitive election after Super Tuesday. Hillary and Bernie was a rare exception. Um, Biden cleared the field by Super Tuesday. Trump and Cruz by Super Tuesday, Trump had the nomination. Even though Cruz kept fighting, it was it was over. They kept on saying Wisconsin, Indiana, these states will stop him. It was over after Super Tuesday. Um, John Kerry cleared the field. Bush cleared the field from McCain. Uh, so it's more than likely that the nomination is wrapped. Obama-Hillary was a rare exception, but um, it is more than likely wrapped by Super Tuesday. So the first 15 states that hold the competition will decide the nomination. If Trump loses, like, you know, I don't know, half of the states into Super Tuesday, maybe he keeps going. But if he loses these delegate-rich winner-take-all states like Florida – and uh and doesn't do well in a place like texas which has hundreds of, of delegates it it is very hard to see him want to go to the nominating floor and lose there and it's a huge repudiation for a former president so i think that i think that you know time will only tell but it is just a big it's a big question DeSantis or not to sand uh, or trump and uh and certainly if you would like to be either candidate right now, the trajectory is in DeSantis' favor, according to every poll that's out there. But once again, we're very, very early in the process. He's not even a nominee. That's not early in the process where we are.
0: Do you think that in, the, in the, one of the scenarios you outlined there, let's say Trump is, is doing very poorly in the Republican primary, it's clear it's not going to happen for him. Do you think he'd run third mm-hmm. party just because?
1: So several states, have something called a sore loser state. A sore loser law, rather, where if you run in a primary, you cannot run independent in a general. States like Texas have that law. Um, there's other states that probably will consider it very quickly if he's if he talks about doing that. Um, but also, it's very hard to then get on the ballot. You run in 2024. The first elections are in you know January, February, March. By May, you have to be on the ballot in most of these states. This is why the third party candidates really are decided by June. Uh, Trump did not. Trump, part of the reason Trump did not win Wisconsin last time was because the Green Party was denied ballot access in Wisconsin and the Libertarian Party was not. Um, Had they been denied, had they had ballot access in such a tight state, it would have been likely that he might have won that state. Um, But it is a very, very, very hard thing to do to then change gears from a Republican primary process to trying to get ballot access last second i don't think it's ever been done some states it's easier to do maybe he'd get ballot access like new hampshire or you know some of the easier states but it it would be very 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 difficult certainly not capable of doing it nationwide certainly not capable of doing it in some major states um so he could try but i i have a hard time seeing how that's possible
0: now how do you uh stack up trump versus Biden, if in fact that is what the contest becomes?
1: So these elections that are redos, like redo elections, oftentimes do not favor the challenger the second time because you're telling voters to acknowledge that they made a mistake the first time. There's one major exception, which is New Hampshire's first congressional district. It's on the east, it's a small district on the east side of New Hampshire, congressional race. Uh, where the two same two people ran for a decade against each other, and every two years it flipped back and forth. Those kinds of cases, though, are rare where people sit there and say, No, I'll give you another shot. And usually they're in swing districts that are just trying to emerge. I don't ever see it really statewide, except for Bill Clinton and Arkansas's governor, but most of the time, If someone loses and then tries to run again, voters do not give them the benefit of the doubt. Now, the economy is bad. Who knows where the world will be in a year and a half from now? Maybe Trump can emerge. The problem with Donald Trump and Joe Biden for both candidates is that 90 percent, 95 percent of the country has made their opinion about him. There's not a huge swing factor where all of a sudden you wake up and say, you know, Let me give this guy a second chance. I haven't heard enough from him, yada, yada, yada. Maybe his positions aren't true. And I think a, a problem from the Trump campaign perspective, if I was on that campaign, is do you remember there was a Sean Hannity interview in 2020 where they asked Sean asked Trump, what's your second term agenda? And he didn't have an answer.
0: I, I didn't see How that, though, no, but –
1: he did. It was. It was a famous interview. He said, what you, "What's your second term agenda?" And Trump had no answer for it. And there was no in 2020. There was no Republican itinerary that because of Jared Kushner personally said that. Wait, he wasn't. He, um,
0: when you say no answer, did he just say like probably doing the best things, the most amazing, was, all the I, it things? Was, yeah, it was, it was, it was, it like was a word salad.
1: Okay. Yes, it was a. Salad of like no it's a very it was a very embarrassing answer but it was no and he couldn't answer and then like a couple weeks later he came back on the show and Sean asked him the same question again and he had like you know we're gonna keep making America great again something like that um but certainly no answer on COVID certainly no answer on whatever if the question if the campaign's theme as it seems right now is things were perfect right before 2020 um It leaves a lot to be desired. It is not a a very ambitious uh, position to be in and not one where if you felt, you know, uh, that your life wasn't perfect in 2019 or 2018 or things weren't great or the border wall wasn't built or whatever the case is, um, it leaves a lot to be desired. It is not very forward looking. Um, And that was what Trump was so great about in 2016 was it was a very forward looking campaign with tangible, objective goals. And I think that's really what's missing right now from the Trump campaign that I think should be there. That is not.
0: Let's uh, take a moment here for our sponsor, the Tunnel of the Towers Foundation. Tunnel of the Towers has been honoring America's heroes ever since the tragedy of 9-11. The foundation honors fallen and severely injured heroes and their families with mortgage-free smart homes. This year alone, hundreds of gold star and fallen first responder families with young children and our nation's most severely injured veterans and first responders are receiving homes. More than 500 homeless veterans received housing and services last year, and more than 1,500 are receiving housing and services this year. This coming Memorial Day, all of the brave men and women lost since 9-11 in the War on Terror are having their names read aloud in a Tunnel to Towers ceremony in our nation's capital. Through the Tunnel to Towers 9-11 Institute, the Foundation is educating kids in kindergarten through 12th grade about our nation's darkest day. Join Tunnel to Towers on its mission to do good. Please help America to never forget its greatest heroes. Join me in donating $11 a month to Tunnel the to Towers at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T, dot org. Um, you know, one, one area, actually, I think that, Ryan, that Republicans, well, maybe they've learned this now, um, but the messy and chaotic and uh, just completely bungled uh, withdrawal from Afghanistan, well, obviously, it was all those things, but it also got us out of Afghanistan. When I had said all along that by the time people are actually voting on this, the Biden administration won't be saying, yeah, we screwed up the withdrawal. They're going to be saying we withdrew from Afghanistan and memories will be a little hazy about the way in, in which it was done. And they will just say we got us out of that
1: war. The only thing I say that maybe might not work in the Biden plan is I I heard the story, I don't know if it's true or not, but I heard that um the Taliban started selling weapons to Russia that we left over there to combat Ukraine. So could be we're yeah. all of a sudden, I mean if we're all of a sudden fighting American weapons that we left over in Afghanistan, it will be uh it will not be the one yeah, best thing. That, that, that's,
0: that's a bad look to be sure. You know it's interesting, Brian uh, uh, Ryan, um when I was there sorry. When I was there um back in uh Where, in Afghanistan in two th- 2010 Afghanistan was providing like 90% of the world's opium. That was where you were getting, yeah. you know, there were some that was being grown in, in South America and, you know, Peru and some in Mexico and you know, the cartels were transporting all this stuff in the States. But Afghanistan was the one-stop shop for all the criminal syndicates all over the world, basically to get, you know, opium from, from the poppy plants and, you it's interesting. I wonder how it how it has uh, changed the, the financial realities of the Taliban, because with fentanyl, which obviously as we know, is a chemical process. You don't have to grow it anymore and you have a much more potent drug, much more easy to transport, much harder uh, for. I think it's much more difficult for like, um, uh, you know, in a variety of ways to transport it and everything else than fentanyl would be. I don't know if dogs and I would assume it's easier to smell heroin than it would be to smell uh, the pill form of fentanyl, but uh, I think it's changed the game dramatically for how the Taliban can actually fund itself. So selling arms would, yeah, I'm, they're still growing poppies, obviously. They're still selling it, but it's not the same as it used to
1: be. Right. Well, I'm just saying is I, it, the problem with doing, I mean, I I think we should have gone out of Afghanistan a decade ago, but the that would look like a black eye. And I just don't think that foreign policy is the high profile thing. Now, if uh, you know a terrorist goes off in the united states that came through the southern border considering we're capturing like 50 you know a month it feels like or a quarter um in our southern border suspected terrorists on the watch list we'll see what how foreign policy is looked at uh from that state i just don't think it is a high priority you know and the bigger problem is is that for most republicans they have been more they have not learned to be less hawkish i mean you have mitch mcconnell who i don't hate mitch mcconnell but mitch mcconnell did say over and over again ukraine is the number one issue for americans and there's not a single american really you know outside of washington dc or in the military industrial complex that feels that way so um you know luckily i mean here's the thing is that when we have a candidate and nomination process you're going to see the complete um splintering of republicans on issues so where republicans where the priority is on foreign policy let's say it happens by november you will see a hawkish candidate like mike pompeo or nikki haley really gain some traction it is not and if republicans really don't have the stomach for long military engagements as they don't um because for the last 20 years the people who have paid the price of military adventurism has only been red state america it's been red county america um then I have a hard time seeing these hawkish views uh, gaining any traction and seeing these candidates who have these hawkish views getting any traction. And if you see, even in Congress right now uh, or the Senate, the candidates who have a more, I'll say, quote unquote, dovish position or a hesitant position on foreign engagements certainly have increase their numbers in the congress in a way that we would have never seen 20 years ago um so that's optimistic to see so that's how i have a very hard time seeing how they're going to gain traction in um in the presidential election and I, i think that's just not a high priority unless something dramatic changes but listen russia invading ukraine did not change it to make it a high enough issue
0: why didn't inflation hurt biden more
1: because the number one projection of inflation is the gas pump and well, two reasons. One, because gas was going down. It's the number one sign. And secondly, um, uh, the, for many parts of this country that are suburban areas it is almost too wealthy to be heavily impacted by inflation. Now, maybe it's starting to, you're starting to see like 60 something percent of Americans over a hundred thousand dollars a year. uh, paycheck by paycheck, but the comfortable middle, upper middle class of the suburbs that used to vote Republican on issues of crime and issues of the economy are too wealthy and too safe to be impacted. So culture issues are a higher priority to them than they used to be. And that is why they Genuflect to BLM and to trans rights and everything like that to show their fellow white college-educated neighbors mostly how wonderful they are as people. And it's that great insular uh, sorting that Charles Murray talked about in his books um, that has prevented really the upper middle class of America to see the anxieties of working class people. They don't. They're never around them. I mean, it's just you know if you know people who are. Not rich, they're not billionaires, but they are certainly upper middle class. How many people they live around who don't have a college degree? What colleges did they go to? Do they go to a community college? Very few of them did unless they just started making their money. Their children, certainly not. So this great sort has definitely not seen people with people with economic anxiety are not, or and social anxiety over things like immigration are not around those who feel that way. I'm Jack Armstrong, he's Joe Getty we're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores stories that are important to your life and important to the world.
0: The election of course the many trials of Donald Trump couple of wars, gender bending madness why are kids looking at so much social media and we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on but we do it without the left wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. What do you think is the area of greatest weakness for Democrats that if Republicans are effective in messaging, they can gain the most ground for the next election cycle?
1: Uh, Immigration, certainly very, very, very high. Um, But the two major things are going to be I think that they're going to have to walk away from the conversations over a national abortion ban. I just think it's too toxic Um, and they're going to have to walk away, even though they have state restrictions are fine. A national abortion ban is too toxic. People view it differently. And um, I think it's going to be I think the area they can make the most progress in, especially among um, working class communities is crime and immigration. I think that crime is the key to winning over large segments of Asians. You know, I had a a friend who's an Asian activist, I guess, Asian community activist who lifelong Democrat was getting thousands of them to vote Republican in the New York election for governor and very successfully winning Asian Republican seats throughout New York City. but sat there and said, we, "We need commercial to show us the crime. We see it on our phones every day, and we know that no one wearing a MAGA hat is hitting our Asian grandmas." It's they can read FBI statistics better than a white college-educated person probably can. Uh, so, uh, so it's uh, so I think that crime and immigration are the two biggest things, especially as the refugee and asylum crisis is hitting. You know, ever. There was a story, I don't know if you saw this, in Rhode Island where teachers were crowdfunding to pay off a cartel member who were bringing in students into Rhode Island to pay off their cartel fees.
0: I did, in, I I did see Island. that headline. Yeah.
1: So, I mean, this has hit such a precipice when New York City is buckling and this is only going to get worse over the next year where local communities are genuinely affected. And I really do think that aside from the cartel crime that's coming in you're going to see a possible either um terrorist attack thwarted or possibly successful you're having too many people come to this border 50 a quarter 60 a quarter who are on the terrorist watch list this is going to some of them are going to get through and who knows who they are and uh, I'm not saying it could be 9-11, but it could certainly be a San Bernardino-type situation. It's not that difficult for it, something to execute. And um, we'll see. I mean, the, I think the immigration though, and crime are the two biggest two biggest things for working class people to start moving. And even some suburban people in places like Long Island or, you know, some suburbs and in some other big areas.
0: Ryan Gurduski, everybody. He's a very wise man. Follow him on uh, Substack, the National Populist Newsletter. Ryan, I'll talk to you soon, buddy. We'll have you back. Thanks for being with us. Bye.